the Wet Track Handicapping Edition of the Notorious OTB on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is brought to you by Bird Dog Shorts. Dominate summer with an amazing pair of shorts and a free Yeti-style tumbler when you order over at birddogs.com slash pool. That's birddogs.com slash pool. Welcome, everybody, to the Notorious OTV, brought to you by the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. And as always, it's all good, baby, baby. Oh, it was all a dream. We used to read Blood Horse Magazine. I'm your host, Chase Sessoms, uh, the Wolf of Oakland, joining me, uh, which I'm going to call a tri- triumphant return for, for myself personally. <laughs> I don't technology well, and uh, my microphone was not working, and for the life of me, could not figure it out, uh, and it bricked two episodes for me last week, so we're just now getting back to it. Sorry for the lack of content last week, but hopefully to make up for it, I brought the man who failed to menace, but he succeeded to still the North American continent's heart, <laughs> Mr. Matthew DeSantis. Matthew, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back, Chase. Appreciate it. And uh, always good. I'm glad to see you. You know, it was like Jordan's flu game last week. You know, you were you were out. It was it was rough. You know, the technology was not working with you and you you overcame. And yeah. uh, and now we're here. So this is uh, going to be a fun episode to talk to you about a little bit of a different topic than we normally discuss because we usually just come on and do, you know, picks and analysis and stuff like that. But uh, I'm excited about talking about some uh, off track conditions today. That's right. That's right. This is actually, this was a, a request a few months ago that I've been meaning to get to someone uh, on Discord. Uh, one of my one of my buddies there was like, hey, I'd really like a good off track, discussing handicapping off tracks kind, kind of episode. And I was like, you know what? We should probably do that. You know what you should probably do? You should probably head to store.sportsgamblingpodcast.com, find the Notorious OTV under the brand section and buy possibly the hottest merch that the world has ever seen. We got t-shirts. We got coffee mugs. That is literal heat. It's ceramic. It holds it in. That is literal heat. You should check that out. Also a reminder. Uh, I, I announced the winner uh, to the hizzy, I believe was the name of the reviewer who left the, the review who won the fallen Bob told him they had until today. Here's the deal. I missed two episodes because uh, I don't technology. Uh, so I'm just going to let to the hizzy know that he's got until 12, he or she, I don't assume that everyone on the internet is a white dude like me, <laughs> though I am guilty of that for some reason sometimes. Um, you've got until 12 a.m. Saturday. That's right. Friday, 11.59, enough time. 12 a.m. Saturday, you're done and we're drawing again. So if to the hizzy doesn't claim, then people who left a review Perk up your spotty senses because we are going to be giving it away because the damn fool didn't want it. <sighs> All right. That was that was a lot. That was a lot. Here, I need an interlude, yeah. Matthew. Scrambling, gambling, I must rock with mandolins and violins. We just sitting here trying to win, trying not to sin. How have we lost gin? There we go. So it's not a fairy tale world that we live in, Matthew. Right? Mm, indeed. There's there some stark realities and mm-hmm. stark meteor- meteorological realities also in the form of rain and wet 
tracks mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't always shine tracks aren't always firm and fast horse racing finds a way uh me and matthew are going to talk about you know discussing making a plan for a wet card track conditions and how track maintenance might affect it and finally just kind of some some favorite wet track angles that we kind of put into place now mm-hmm. i've found that horse players either uh fucking love off tracks or fucking hate off tracks <laughs> which fucking yeah. do you do matthew I, I'm all about fucking loving it, and okay. uh, I, I love off-track conditions, so I think it provides an opportunity for value. I think it provides you an opportunity to fade favorites a lot of times, and I think it gives you an opportunity to really zig where everybody else is zagging in some instances, or just get into contests and games where people are going to avoid the race all together because, like you said, it's one or the other and a lot of people don't even want to play at all, get in there and, and do something. I mean, and we'll get into this in a little bit more detail as we start talking about specifics, but, you know, a track like Gulfstream is one that I love, love, love playing when it goes off turf because that means it goes on the all-weather synthetic, and I love me some Tapita. And so, you know, you just take all those things into consideration, and, and but not everybody else does. And so uh, I, I love it, though. I think it, I, I think it also is an... I don't want to indict people who don't like playing in off-track conditions, but I will say I think it is a handicapper's delight, I think, to uh, play off-track conditions because that's when you really see the people who do the research and do the deep dives and do the digging to find, oh, this is the actual horse you want in this condition. You know, I, I honestly, um, you know, I'm I'm balanced on this one. I'm actually I'm I'm gonna say that I'm the rare in the middle. Um, I hate it whenever it's, you know, you have so many scratches and it produces just sure obvious. You know, every winner's like two to five because it's so obvious on the you know on the uh, on the PPs that yeah. uh, that you know you don't really get a chance at prices. I also love it whenever you know it, it's not like that. You still have full fields and you can actually still make a price out of something if you are like you said put in the time do the research. It's all what it's about. It's about doing the research at the end of the day, but let's talk about making a plan mm-hmm. for a wet card. Actually, you know what? Let's talk about something else, Matthew. Let's talk about fucking bird dog shorts. Oh my God. Have you seen these things? It's ridiculous. They make you look good and make you feel good buy the transitive property you will then therefore play good they're like they do the exact same thing as a lululemon but it's a lot more manlier than wearing a lulu because it's got this inner liner it keeps your balls like all bundled up like you're a kid swimming in the pool no giblets floating around plus they stretch they move with you and they got a cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki stretches so you get away slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement bird dogs use anti-stinks sweat wicking fabric to keep you cool and dry all day long so go to birddogs.com slash pool and enter promo code pool for a free yeti style tumbler with your order that's birddogs.com slash pool for a free yeti style tumbler you don't want to take your bird dogs off we promise you skies out thighs out am i right matthew absolutely my fan I'm I'm not gonna lie. the The upper part of my leg has not seen sun since at least 1997. Probably, <laughs> and that was more than likely a mistake. 
more than likely just more than likely not entirely <laughs> right so let's let's kind of talk about making a plan for a wet card because i have very distinct things you know thoughts about you know how much you can actually plan out your hmm. handicapping day mm-hmm. for a wet card going into it i i'm personally i'm the kind of person that likes to i even handicap tracks two days out in advance and then come back to it the day of make adjustments there kind of impossible i mean you know me i'm a damn dirty tout i sell a tip sheet like it makes it hard on people like us to to do things like that because you don't know whose horses are actually going to be in the race do you try to really dig in beforehand or do you kind of let you know do some basic things and let what's happening during the day guide you so i i will first start by saying i believe that meteorology is a sham science I believe it's to a bunch of people throwing darts at a dartboard and that, you know, people like Marshall Graham, who's a really nice guy on Twitter uh, and is a horse player and is a meteorologist. I I love Marshall, but I still think he's just guessing. Uh, And so I think, you know, the best job is to be a weatherman in South Florida, South uh, California. But um, listen, uh, I try my best to look at forecasts a couple of days out, but like you said, it's hard. I mean, when you're, you know, a lot of times, if there's a big Saturday card that I'm handicapping and I'm making content for, I'm recording that content Thursday at some point for release Thursday night, Friday morning. So you're right. 48 hours out, I'm looking ahead at the forecast going, well, what might it be? And it's not just what might it be that day? What might it be the days leading up to that? You know, are there, is there a lot of rain leading up that they're just, the turf course is saturated and it's going to be off. You know, is it going to be nice on Saturday? Maybe they try to run just the stakes races on the turf. Are they going to, uh, you know, is it just going to be good? Is it going to be soft? I mean, so rarely in the United States do we ever run turf races on soft conditions, let alone yielding. It's just rare. And so it is, it's one of those things where it's really hard to project. I do my best. If it's one of those things where I just see like three straight days of 100% chance of showers, then I'm like, okay, I got to work this in now. But if it's like 45% chance of thunderstorms, I'm like, listen, I'm just going to, straight handicap this. And then the day of I'll make some adjustments and let people know and, uh, you know, dive back into some things. And maybe I'll make a couple notes here or there for me about, Oh, this is a horse to maybe reconsider if the conditions are not perfect. Yeah. What I, so I'm usually I'm forced into, to making an opinion. And it's just like you said, like basically it's going to just be based off of what I think is going to happen weather wise i make my picks and i know full well that i'm probably gonna lose maybe half of them to scratches Mm -hmm. uh but what i try to do i try to kind of evaluate the card before the day of the races for everything that i can this is if i think that it might spit on the track Mm -hmm. like i Mm -hmm. for i try to evaluate the card for everything that i can that isn't affected necessarily by track condition there are two things for sure, and that's class and workouts. Yep. Those aren't that doesn't change with the wet track. You can always go through like there's still things you can do in advance. So it's not just like you get to the track, you open up the, the racing form and it's go. Uh so you can evaluate for that. And I still think speed can be evaluated, but what I, you know, I don't think that you should only look at dry track figures or only figures for the right surface, or you know, if it was on turf and then moved off. I try to get an average ability figure for everybody. That, you know, includes a wet track performance, you know, Mm -hmm. on dirt. I just look at other dirt races on turf. I look at every figure that doesn't include a trouble trip 
dirt figures included. And I think it gives me like a, a holistic ability figure. And I use that term ability figure a lot. I got that from Mike Maloney's book, betting with an edge. Mm-hmm. He kind of does the same thing with his speed figures. He doesn't do it the same way I do it. Um, but you know, he he's looking at performances for off tracks and things like that. And might tick up the speed figure a little bit to, to form an ability figure. That's kind of how the only thing that I think you can really do going into it without, mm-hmm. you know, really kind of painting yourself into a corner. I would agree with that. I absolutely look at uh, off-track condition past performances and try to dig into, you know, is this a horse that likes the slop? And then looking at, but but looking at it from a class standpoint too, because there's been a lot of times where I'll see a horse that wins, let's just say a five thousand dollar claimer in off-track conditions, but they're running in a forty-five thousand dollar optional allowance today. And I go, oh, well, this is totally different than just, okay, that horse ran well against a much lower class of horses. It may not be the off track. It may be, you know, something more significant. So those are things where, you know, again, just all parts of the equation that you're putting in together. But yeah, for for turf horses in particular, I am always very eager to go because usually that's where you see the huge, the huge shift is in the turf horses. Because that's where their off-track numbers can some days just crater. You know, when these horses run on dirt, you're just like, good Lord. I mean, forget it. This horse just does not like it at all. And that's also where the synthetic, that's where a horse, a track like Gulfstream or Woodbine or, or some of these other tracks that have a all-weather and a turf course, Golden Gate, you know, you, you go around and, and see some of those where you start evaluating those numbers to go, well, what do they like on the synthetic? You know, do they like synthetic? What's the Tomlinson rating on, on some of those? We'll get into that a little bit more later, but it's, you know, it's one of those things where I, I try to evaluate that. And, you know, sometimes you see a horse that really perks up and not just the main track only entry, but sometimes you'll see those, uh, you know, turf horses that maybe started their career on the dirt and actually weren't half bad. And you go, Oh, this, this might actually be a pretty nice play if this shifts over to another surface. Conversely, do you ever uh, look at a horse's off-track performance and assume that if they ran well on an off-track that they might have the turf hoof and run well whenever they get back to turf? I do. Uh, I That is something. We're, that, we're actually freestyling, folks. This one, this one's off the cuff right Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a really good question. So I actually think of a uh, – honestly, I think of a horse that just ran this past weekend, Salute the Stars is actually a great example of this. This is a horse that I think Brad Cox, quite frankly, lucked into to some extent uh, because this horse ran on turf the first two times out and then goes and was entered in a turf race that got taken off turf and all of a sudden the horse perked up on dirt and now the horse is a stakes winner on dirt uh, after beating Kings Barnes in the Pegasus. So I do look at that as a horse that, you know, ran well in, you know, if a horse runs well in those muddy sealed or sloppy sealed conditions, then you just go, oh, this might actually be a turf. I mean, how many times do you see that in the PPs where it's a dirt horse, suddenly they run in an off-track condition, the next race out, <laughs> they're on the turf because the trainer clearly sees something as well that, oh, right. we need to get this horse on another surface. So that's absolutely something I'll, I'll take into consideration all the time. Yeah, I it's uh, it's something that I'll definitely look at whenever they're they're making the transition. But let's, let's yeah. You mentioned this also, and it's something that I look at, but it's I don't look at as deep as some people do. Uh, and we're off track pedigree. Now you're mm-hmm. a little bit more of a pedigree, you know, off track handicapper. You you like to dig into it. Names that I like to go with your Malibu Moons, your Munnings, 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, Giants Causeway horses, things like that, that, you know, I'm like, oh, yes, Stormcat also appropriate yeah. name. Oh, I love betting, <laughs> love betting Stormcat horses on the dirt. Um, how much does pedigree go into it for you? Mm-hmm. And how much when is it time to say it's time to give up on pedigree that this horse isn't going to do what the Tom Winston yeah. say it does? I, I honestly, I think usually after like the first time. It, it runs under those conditions and doesn't like it. I mean, I'm not somebody who kind of like, uh, even from a pedigree play, like under perfect conditions after like the second or third race, I'm like, okay, this is just who the horse is. Like, uh, you know, no matter what the pedigree might suggest good or bad. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of the same way. So when I really dive into that off track pedigree, it's a lot of times around maiden races. It's a lot of times around races of lightly raced horses who have yet to ever run in these conditions. And I go, well, wait a second. Let me at least go back and see, uh, is there something underneath that looks pretty good? Does the dam run well in these sort of conditions? Has she produced off-track winners? Has has a sire done in terms of producing off-track winners? I mean, you look at a sire like Gunrunner. I mean, good Lord, he's winning at like a 26% clip, I think, is offspring and off-track conditions. Not surprising. Candy Ride. Uh, up to another great sire for off track conditions. We saw that this year uh, in the risen star or not the risen star in the rebel with confidence game. Uh, so, you know, there are certain sires, you mentioned a bunch of them and there are certain dams out of dams that have produced outstanding uh, off track horses. And you just kind of, you dive into that, but after you see it once or maybe twice, then I don't worry about pedigree anymore, but it's that first time. And particularly for maidens. Uh, and, and that's a little bit, goes back to something you mentioned earlier about speed. That's something else I really take into consideration, which is young horses and most horses in general hate kickback on sloppy days. And so I want to look for a horse that has speed, particularly young horses, because young horses hate that mud kickback early on. And that's just a surefire way. They're going to stop dead in their tracks. They're going to be ranked. They're going to want to go out wide to stay out of it. And they're going to you know waste a lot of ground, et cetera. So I tend to, on sloppy days and sealed track days, I tend to go towards front-end speed as being really effective because it's rare to see those horses that love the mud and love to come from the back. So we've talked about what you can do before you actually make it to the track on these muddy days. I, I'm a, just a big proponent of, of save your, your brain power for the next day to find uh, you know long shots, or some might call them underdogs. We're brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Best of all, Mania. And Underdog Fantasy is giving away $15 million in prizes. Underdog Pick'em is also a great way to get down on your favorite MLB and college baseball player props. So many ways to win over on Underdog and active in so many states. Head over to underdog.com. Use promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Promo code SGPN. All right, let's jump into it. Now let's talk about track conditions. Um, we're severely handicapped in the United States by how many track conditions we actually have. You, you've got <laughs> fast, good, muddy, sloppy, oh. and even fast can be wet sometimes. It's mm-hmm. weird. Good can be dry. It's weird. Uh, you know, when, when I worked on the retail side of the liquor industry and at an upscale, uh, little rock wine, upscale for little rock wine shop, uh, big shout out Yancey's wine spirits. Named after marine legend John Yancey, 
who won the Navy Cross at the Frozen Chosen in uh, wow. Korea. Only reason he didn't get the uh, Congressional Medal of Honor, everyone above him was killed. Fucking bureaucracy. <laughs> but I lifted this line off of, like an NPR story whenever I was trying to sell wine that it said essentially like the English language doesn't have the same words that say like the French or like Spanish mm-hmm. Italian have to explain sensory things like taste. And it was a great thing to fall back on when I had no fucking clue uh, what that wine tasted like. Uh, and I was still trying to sell it, which is, you know, so if you live in the Little Rock area, shopped at Yancey's Wine Spirits like 10 years ago and uh, a chubby guy with a beard sold you a bad bottle of wine. That's on me. But you fell for the line. You believed it. Um, that brings, you know, it's like that with the with these tracks. There, mm-hmm. There's such a difference between fast, between good, variations between good, between good to muddy, the variations of muddy. Same with sloppy. Uh, when you add moisture to a track, I mean, there, it's going to play differently based on what every outside influence is on it at that moment. I think you have to keep in mind that the surface is like constantly changing. Like it's, mm-hmm. if it's raining, and it's going to keep raining, that track is going to keep tra- changing. That's why I say you have to be flexible and keep making, you know, changes. Or you could see a state where the, you know, the track is drying out. And that will, ch- you'll, you'll look at a track that's drying out and you'll see by the first race to the last race, how it just changes throughout the day. You know, and I think they all play differently because a wet track can be maintained in a ton of different ways. Um, do you pay much attention to muddy versus sloppy? good versus muddy, you know, good versus fast, et cetera. How much consideration is that for you? I put a, certainly I, my big thing is from good to muddy. That that's kind of the dividing line for me. Uh, I'll, I'll pay attention for good versus fast. Like, okay, a little bit of moisture, you know, and I'll kind of take another look over things. And, and like you said, sometimes that can impact the way that the track is playing in terms of rail bias or in terms of early speed or, or, or closing speed. Or again, it's all based upon maintenance of the track. But for me, the muddy is usually corresponding with it being sealed. And that adds a whole nother element when you seal the track. And conversely, when you said about it getting better throughout the day, you'll sometimes see a sealed track all of a sudden get harrowed at some point halfway through the card. And you're like, all right, well, now this is going to play different than it did the first five races. Uh, And so, you know, they're trying to dry the track out because the weather's improved. And so, those are, I mean, so for me, that's a huge differentiation between good and muddy where I really go, okay, things are now, things are going to get weird and we have to go get weird with it. And uh, that, so that's my big designator, but you're right. I mean, it really is something where you have to, you can have a game plan going into that first race based upon what we talked about. And based upon your history at that track, just knowing how that, and that's the benefit of following one track and one circuit is you right. get to know how these tracks play given off conditions. And, but even knowing that you still have to sit there between race after race one and start reevaluating and going, does that result make sense? Uh, you know, Oh, a, a speed horse one. Well, that doesn't mean it was a speed favoring track. Yeah. It might've been the speed horse was just clearly the best horse in that race. Maybe maiden that race where, where no one wants to pass anyone or something exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an excellent point. I, and I guess that drills me into what my key point for this section is in ter- terms of talking about track condition is you need to throw away 
who your brain logically told you was going to win the race last night. And you have to mm. trust your eyes more than any other time handicapping, because as soon as you can pick up into a trend or maybe see things starting to change, if you can see it first, then you're going to make a fuck ton of money and maybe even a metric fuck ton. That's the advantage <laughs> of being able, if you can perceive these things and kind of figure it out, uh, you mentioned sealed tracks versus Harrow tracks. Here's, a good exercise if you just started learn what that means what they look like because they don't always say harrowed there are places that do, will, will say maybe sloppy sealed maybe they will say sloppy they won't let you know if they changed it from sealed to harrowed during the day like learn how what that looks like and then just use your eyes and kind of figure out what's going on look at the paths they took look at the their position in the in the race shape and really just lean into what your eyes tell you like it's Matthew hit it right on the head. Like watch that replay immediately after figure out where the winner came from. Yeah. Now you have to, and that's where I think that's where sometimes people will make mistakes is if they don't, I think it's very easy for people to just go, like I said earlier, Oh, a speed horse won the first race or a closer won the first race. It must be, well, no, it doesn't have to be. That's when you go back on your research and you go, wait a second. How did I see this race initially? Oh, the speed horse was the best horse or this closing horse was the best horse. So the best horse won the race. So you go, okay, well, maybe the track's actually playing pretty fair in that instance. Like it's, it's, it's fitting to form. Well, let's wait for another race to see if there's a bias. Okay. in the next race, geez, I didn't like the speed horse at all. And the speed horse held on to win despite really fast fractions. Okay. Now, now I can start to make some assumptions that this is going to be a speed favoring track today. I need to start reevaluating and upgrading all my speed horses because they're not going to get tired on the front end, at least under the conditions that they are right now. Now let's talk about just kind of wet track angles. Do you have anything that, I mean, I understand that I've been telling you that the situation is fluid and everything, but there, you know, we we've talked about pretty generic stuff in terms of what the track condition is, you know, uh, speed figures uh, for, for wet tracks or, you know, the pedigree of a horse. Is mm -hmm. there anything that's kind of like a, those, you know, deep down hidden nuggets that, that you kind of look at that you kind of think to yourself whenever you hit on that angle, oh, I'm fucking smarter than everyone. <laughs> um, I, there's a, there's a few beyond what we've kind of talked about before. So one is I, I really in maiden races will always go with speed of the speed. A lot of times, uh, it, when it's off track conditions, I just don't trust even horses that are pressers or mid-pack horses, I'm just like, nope, that's not going to happen. Like, you're going to get out there and you're going to hate getting this mud kick back in your face. And it's just not going to be the right type of trip, especially if I think they're going to have an inside trip. Uh, and it's a routing race in particular. Then then it's like, forget it. A sprint, sometimes you can keep them wide. It's not a big deal. But in routes, forget about it. And so uh, that's where I'll just always go. Like, who's going to be in the top two, basically, going into this? And that's another, you know, again, an angle that I like to play for uh, Tapita. So this is the other angle, and it's very specific to Gulfstream Park. I'm so, can, I know exactly where you're going with this, and I'm excited. Okay. <laughs> uh, but it's, it, it also speaks to uh, Woodbine a little bit as well. What mm -hmm. I love to do is look for horses that have worked on the Tapita. And so that is, if, if it's a turf horse, but they work on the Tapita, I'm like, that's my guy. And and not just they work, but they've turned in a bullet. They've turned in like a really strong work. I'm like, 
that's my horse right there because we're going to get on. And even if it's a 20 to one shot, I'm like, that horse is going to run a hell of a lot better than its odds because it actually likes the surface and has run on the surface as opposed to all these other turf horses who are only working out on either the main track or the turf. And so uh, that is, I will always go to that every single time. That is so uh, deep. And it's actually probably one of my dirtiest of pig boy ang- angles. Little pig boy. Can I get the definition? Little pig boy. He's that pathetic, dirty bitch, baby. Mistress gets to stand on. Horses on the Keeneland training track, things like that. Oh, I love betting those horses next out. Not even necessarily on wet tracks, because as stated, I am just a dirty little pig boy for all weather shippers. Little pig boy comes from the dirt. He's a weasley little mud grub who needs to be stood on. Little pig boy. You actually didn't mention what I would thought you were going to talk about, which is I thought whenever like Tapita all weather gets wet, it yes. makes it compress and become more springy. And it makes that that early speed really carry a lot more. That's why you could bet closers all day at Turfway one day. Then it rains just a little bit. Next thing you know, it's early speed the entire time. I, absolutely. No, that that's particularly true. So t- that happens twice with Tapita and it's when it gets cold and when it yep. gets uh, wet. It, it condenses, and that's where you want you you never want a deep closer at that Tapita track at Gulfstream Park. Very rarely do you want a closer. Um, you want mid pack horses a lot of times when it's more opened up, but when it is tight like that, you want a horse basically sitting first or second. A lot of times, I like picking a horse that I think is going to hit sit second, third uh, that stalking trip, and then go. But uh, yeah, that that's another angle that I do like to play quite a bit. That. So you, you kind of mentioned with the, you know, there, there is typically a speed bias with, uh, you know, these off, you know, off track, wet track kind of days. And one thing, just a betting strategy, I will literally just box the early speeds. Typically I like to mix up my run styles and whenever I put together an exacta, you know, if I have early speed, then I've got closers closing into it. Or if I've got, you know, a closer, then I've got early speed that I think they're getting up over. Um, with this, like, it, it seems so frequently that you see early speed horses hit the front in like a group of three on a sloppy sealed track, and they just motor off, and then there's just like a peloton of horses that aren't going to pass anybody or make up any ground behind them. And even if it's cheap speed, throw it in there. Like, you, it just might hold today. You know, it's God did something special today. He did something different to give this horse a try, uh, you know, a chance. So why not? You know, don't don't upset god i guess if you believe in such things um here's one that i'm i haven't told many people about this and it's weight it's the weight carried i am Mm. constantly on a sloppy track going back through the results of the day and i'm trying to see if there's a pattern are the horses that are carrying more weight consistently winning finishing in the money or the horses that you know are getting the weight break because they have a bug boy. Like are those horses actually able to just kind of skip over the surface a little bit? And those are the ones that are winning. I've won big money off of this. And it's like mm-hmm. things where I don't think this horse has a chance, but like looking at the pattern, maybe this horse has a chance and it gallops home at like, you know, 40 to one and w- wins for fun because it either was heavier. I don't know how it works. Either it was heavier and the horse had like more traction. It got down to the firmer part of the track. Like, when you put weight in the back of a pickup truck, whenever it's, you know, slippery out helps weight, you know, keeps mm-hmm. you from sliding around. Um, I don't know if there's much to it. Is that something you've ever 
looked at, considered? I I don't put, I'm probably, if you're looking at like a, a kind of a uh, continuum of people who care about weight, I'm probably on the side of not caring about it more than overanalyzing it. Like during the derby prep season, I feel like people freak out over weight a lot of times because you do see variations between some horses like a Forte who's got to carry like eight more pounds than, you know, some of these other horses that are just coming out of a maiden race. And I'm like, yeah, but Forte's just better. Like, what are we talking about? Like, <laughs> I don't care about this eight pounds. Right. Um, the uh, So I don't do it. And the other reason I don't do it, honestly, is I sometimes am worried about how apprentice jockeys run in off-track conditions. And I'm just like, is this horse going to get the ride that it needs to get in this particular case? And does the apprentice jockey have the experience to know this is how this horse needs to be run on an off-track condition day? Here's This is one of my favorites. And I don't know if it's because I'm just, I don't know, like a action Bronson guy and you can constantly find me watching ancient aliens. And so I'm experienced. I've I've heard about these, you know, UFO sightings where it's like mass people. And so it's been attributed to like mass hysteria. Listen, Mm -hmm. jockey colony mass hysteria exists. It is fucking real. If early speed is winning gate to wire for a few races in a row, like say races one through three, Sometimes you'll see the entire jockey colony, or at least the ones in the next race, completely overreact. And every horse in the field will send for the lead and create an artificial pace meltdown. If you've seen these races go gate to wire, maybe take a stab at the closers. You know, take a stab at the closer in the fourth because they've seen it. They're trained to see it. They're all going to go thinking that that's the ticket. And eventually it's going to fall to a close. Really love doing like, especially in like my pick fives and things like around yeah. like leg three, leg four, uh, you know, a day where the, the speed is really going to carry. I'll start throwing in some closers into those and maybe bulk up my ticket a little bit. But the thing is they're going to be ignored on the board, but it's a completely man-made fucking disaster. Yeah. You're, I, I totally agreed with this. And it's funny that jockeys do kind of overreact in this way sometimes. And you know that I follow the track Assiniboia really closely. And Assiniboia is a track where early speed, doesn't matter what the conditions are, early speed is king at Assiniboia. The problem is everybody realizes this. And then everybody quarter horses out of the damn gate and goes like 22 you know, flat early fractions, which for these horses is absolutely flying. And then you just see a horse strolling around the far turn and just like, dope-dee-dope-dee-dope. And it just starts yep. passing everybody and picking them off. And... You know, so you do see Kelsey Har flying up the track, the tractor trail. If you're an Oakland guy, <laughs> exactly. So uh, you're absolutely right that 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 happens regularly. Um, it, I will say it, it's interesting. I know, you know, we've talked about this with regards to, and this usually actually corresponds with off track conditions. Is like the golden rail that sometimes will emerge, or a dead rail that will sometimes emerge, and that is one which is not picked up by as many jockeys a lot of times, and. That's one where you really have to pay attention to, wait a second, Trevor McCarthy's run three straight races where his horse has run a lot better than I thought they were going to run, even if they don't win. Oh, Trevor realizes I just need to keep this horse on the rail or I need to get this horse out in the middle of the track. And so I think, you know, looking at those winter aqueduct races are always, for me, really key because that's where you see some jockeys pick up on the, the path bias that exists rather than the speed bias. 
Yeah, that's uh, me and uh, Josh Rodriguez. That's something that, you know, we'll like at each other on Discord, like on a wet day and say like, uh, you know, Dylan Davis gets it. He understands it. Uh, You know, the people who understand the bias, that's such a big thing. It's not only like, you know, people say, can the jockey read the racing form? No, let me know if he watched the replay of the last race to see what Mm -hmm. happened. That's what Mm -hmm. I want to know. Yeah. You have any other just big wet track angles you want to spit out for us? I think we covered most of them. Uh, you know, one of the things I, I guess I w- will say is don't be scared off by it. I mean, just, you know, dive into it. And, and the only way you get better at it is by playing it. You don't get better at it just by sitting on the sidelines or ignoring it. So you, you got to get into it. And it really does tend to coincide with a certain time of year. Like there's a time of year where South Florida just gets thunderstorms every single day. And there's a certain time of year where New York is just miserable. And as you know, there's a certain time of year where, you know, God just punishes the people of Arkansas with 40 days of rain. And yeah. you just have to learn how to deal with those conditions. And the only way to do it is not by going, well, I'm going to go play Santa Anita instead, or I'm going to play Del Mar. I'm going to play some race where it never, never yeah. rains. Yeah. Get used to it. Just get in the game. The time investment's already been made. Just, you know, fine tune yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Or, or my favorite, uh, the random uh, severe thunderstorm that just materializes over Saratoga out of clear blue skies. It's going to happen. It happens a lot. Uh, happens every, it happens multiple times every single meet where it's gorgeous races one through four and then race five, you start to go, huh, clouds look a little darker. And then race six, all hell breaks loose and they have to delay the races for a couple of minutes. And uh, yeah. And then they come back into a sealed track and it's just a disaster. Yeah. So Matthew, you're all over the place with trust the prophets. And what the fuck are you doing on TV? Anyhow, you know, I get calls from back home every fucking day. They think you went bad shit. Let everyone out there know what you got going. Uh, absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at the handle at fail to menace. Uh, have a little preview of the grade three Ohio Derby coming up for this weekend. Got some Royal Ascot previews up as well for all the group stage races uh, for this meet from Monday through Saturday. So you can check that out on the channel and then uh, probably going to do a little late pick four at Thistledown. That's an all stakes pick four uh, as well. So yeah, just a lot of different content. Follow me on Twitter at fail to menace and uh, you'll be able to get all of it. Definitely, definitely check that out. They're doing good stuff over at Trust the Profits. Always fun when they let me drop in, which I'm going to drop in in that Asuna Boya sometime. Sometime. I, I know. I've been inviting you. I have a me. microphone. I, you know. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys, don't forget, there is new merch out. Go to store.sportsgamblingpodcast.com. Get yourself a Notorious OTB uh, shirt, hoodie. I can tell you the, the red one looks just beautiful with an 18 karat gold plated cuban link chain laying on that red uh so if you have the chain get it uh if you don't still get it um also to the hizzy tick fucking talk if you want the fallen bob you got to talk to me by 12 a.m saturday tick friggin talk that's gonna do it for us here at the notorious otv brought to you by the sports gambling podcast network we will catch you tomorrow Bye bye.